He's like, listen, dude, that guy is one of the best guys I've ever managed. I've never screamed so loud in my life. I think we woke up the whole entire dorm. That's going to be a whole other controversy for next year. Welcome to episode 16 of Dig In with JPR and Sebia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne, and today on the show... We have Ryan Barucki, one of the young rising stars of the Toronto Blue Jays, rookie pitcher, and uh, you know one half of the famous bromance. We had the other half on last week with Danny Jansen. I'm sure we're going to touch on that today. Yeah, we had to do the finishing touches on the uh, bromance. Both guys, uh, it's a special thing. It kind of reminds me of Ricky and me. Uh, we came up together and we're in the big leagues and all of a sudden, it, it just started clicking, and obviously, uh, it, there was a lot of success, and it was fun. Um, and then also, you know, I want to be able to say this is a 16th podcast, and every time I'm out there in Toronto, I, I get to hear a lot of uh, great reviews and a lot of people um, saying that they really enjoy the podcast. So you guys continue to, you know, you have uh, Nick's social media and my social media. You guys continue to to uh, send us some stuff because uh, we I, I've always enjoyed hearing uh, how much you guys are enjoying this. Yeah, we're doing it for you. You know, I mean, I don't think this would be worth doing if absolutely no one was listening. If it was just the two of us talking, we'd probably just throw a couple texts back and forth and be done with it. Yeah, so it's it's cool. I've 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 really enjoyed it, and even the players. You know, talking with the players, it's been fun uh, to hear their thoughts on it, and and so it's a lot of fun, and and we try to to make it. You know. A, uh, a good environment but also you know call it as we see it but it's a it's it's been a fun time but I'm excited to, to get Barucky on here and and uh you know coming off a great start uh just kind of get to know him and and also get to know a little bit about him as a person what food and and different things he likes to do all right speaking of fun I don't think you can really talk about the Toronto Blue Jays right now in this particular second without addressing Kendris Morales because what's going on with this guy is absolutely nuts. Like he's a guy that personally I never really thought it was a signing they should have made. I don't really like a traditional full-time DH and he last year wasn't so good. And then this year he got off rough, but he's been awesome lately. And specifically he's got the home run streak, the last seven games that's been absolutely insane. So it's, you know, it's giving people a reason to watch when, you know, they might otherwise be a little bit skeptical of watching Blue Jays baseball right now. Right now, at this second, he's a guy that you have to keep your eyes on because you don't know what he's going to do. So JP, what are you, how are you enjoying this streak that he's on and how does it feel? I mean, I know you never had a streak of that magnitude, but how does it feel when you just have that hot streak where the... To use the cliche, the baseball is like a beach ball, and it just seems like everything's breaking your way. Well, I mean, for me, I did. I had a, a I mean, I would say four games uh, of a stretch of home runs, which is pretty special. And, you know, I had months where I got really hot. So, I mean, I do, you know, you know how it is. It's it's a, it's one of those things where you just, you go to the park every day knowing that something special is going to happen. And, and even when you get out, that's the biggest thing. When you get out, it doesn't even phase you when you're when you're struggling. You know, you might think about things, but when you're going good, it doesn't phase you. And I think that's the biggest difference. But uh, I mean, I think since June first, he's got 17 homers. Um, he's a guy that usually hits his 30 a year, and and I think that he'll be uh, close to it um, when it's all said and done. 
this season uh, with with how special he's he's started to swing the bat. And it for me, it's something positive to look forward to. I mean, even finding the positives and watching games and doing things. I mean, I was literally fist pumping on his sixth straight uh, home run game and on his seventh straight. I mean, I was I was as soon as he hit it, it was like fist pump kind of dropping a couple f yeahs like and then when he when he did the record it was fun to watch man it's 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 cool but i think kendris brings a lot more to the table um than people understand within that clubhouse and, and different things and so i'm excited for him to be able to come back and, and help out a team that ultimately yeah he he's done some pretty good things for yeah, and I think sort of the Kendris Morales era, I mean, it's not going to be known as that, but in this couple of years in Blue Jays land has been undoubtedly a dark time, and we'll see what happens next year, but I think it would be overly optimistic to assume that they're going to climb ahead of the Yankees or Red Sox next year, unless there's some big changes we don't know about. But it's things like this that'll make people remember him. You know what I mean? Like, for example, Steve Pierce. Was Steve Pierce a legendary Blue Jay? No, he played all right with the Blue Jays. He's a good player. Now he's playing well with the Red Sox. But people remember that he hit those two grand slams in however many days it was. Like, it's a fun... It's it's not about wins and losses all the time. It's about memories. And I think it's cool that Kendris Morales, I mean, he has this memory for himself, but he's given all of Blue Jays fans this memory. You know, in the middle of a bad year, here's a really cool thing that happened. Like, here was this guy, and he was just, for whatever reason, for this period of time unstoppable and that's kind of what he is right now he's pretty much unstoppable at the plate yeah I mean listen here's the thing too is people don't realize and I see a lot of you know negatives out there and people chirping him and saying you know that he hasn't been great or whatever first off let's let's talk about what impact he has well we have two players along with him that are Cuban born players he is a guy who's been around baseball a long time He's a person who will be able to help those guys and a and a huge, huge, you know, crutch, however you want to say it, for them to be able to go and talk to him. Because one thing that they've, you know, everyone has said, and I mean, even Gibby, he's like, listen, dude, that guy is one of the best guys I've ever managed. And to be able to say that speaks volumes. And I asked him why, and he said it's because he's the same guy every single day. When he was struggling, he was the same guy. And he's the same guy now. And that's why, you know, he's able to go out there after a slow start and still finish the way he's finished. But they say every day he gets to the field at 1230. He does all the, the same exact routine. He eats, he works out, the, you know, this, that. He's a, He is the epitome of a pro. And so where I'm saying his value is even more than what he brings on the field, Guriel and Diaz are going to be a big part. And those guys are going to be some, you know, players that we need to win and they're they're very special players if you have a guy like that on the team he's going to help those people those players pr- produce and grow and and that's why for me he's even more valuable than what people look at in the numbers and stuff like that because he's going to be instrumental to the development of those two guys and when they see him and watch him and the way he goes about his business that's going to make them better pros and those are things that you can't really calculate in the stats which I'm I mean again I've been around the team and I see it and it's so fun to watch and he is such a good good person to have in that team which as we all know there's guys like that in baseball that can make the difference between a team being good a team being bad or players even developing and becoming great players yeah and you mentioned the two Cuban guys but obviously if you look ahead to 2019 
it's no secret there's another Spanish-speaking guy that's going to be an important hitter for the Blue Jays, and that's going to be Vladdy Guerrero Jr. So if you have a veteran guy like him that could be a sounding board for Guerrero Jr. potentially and they could talk hitting, we know that Morales is a big film guy. You know, he's a, he's a definitely an advanced hitter. So that's something that he could also be a part of as well. And one thing that I want to ask you about is, you know, as the fans, we talk about this being fun, this being kind of a memory What's that like on the bench when you're watching your teammate? And, and I mean, you've mentioned that Morales has a reputation as being a really good guy, so you'd, you'd be inclined to think guys are just definitely pulling for him no matter what. But what's it like to watch a teammate like that go off? I mean, I'm sure the guys in the dugout are just, like you said you were going wild at home. I can only imagine what the guys in the dugout are feeling, you know, breaking up what's been kind of a rough season for them too. Kind of couldn't be uplifting to watch your teammate do this. Well, it is huge. And I was actually, I was in the, the stadium. So I was fist pumping from the uh, the old alumni suite. But um, honestly, it, it's it's so much fun when you, you know, listen, it's a it's a tough year, right? And everybody gets to the to spring training with optimism and everybody wants to be in a good place to win. And when you're not winning, there's certain things that you kind of, look forward to every single day well one you know you want to become a spoiler but two you you know these these things going on like this within the game for me when I got called up um we were out of it but Jose Bautista was on pace to hit over 50 home runs and so every day I came to the field super excited not only the opportunity to be a spoiler and to have you know a chance to play in the big leagues but, but I was like man I got a front row seat to watch Jose Bautista every single day go out there and put on a show and so as teammates you're super fired up for somebody and then for somebody who's a good person a good human being you're super excited for and again you're right about the the vladdy and and i I just said the cubans because he was a cuban born guy but obviously spanish in general spanish speakers guys younger guys that come in the league that are you know predominantly spanish it is enormously just valuable to have somebody who speaks Spanish, who is a good example for these guys. And I've always said it, and you see a lot of teams that win, you need to have a good Latin example on the team for guys because if they don't have a good example, they come in and, and a lot of times they don't know, maybe know what's the best way about it. Somebody that's not a Spanish speaker gets on them, then it becomes a little bit of a, of, of tension that doesn't need to be there. And it's if you have a person like that, like a Kendris Morales, who is a, a absolute – a plus person in the clubhouse and a professional, he's going to make everyone around him that much better. And somebody like that, that was an example of why he was able to play so long and people love him. And he's still, you know, he's still in, in the big leagues as a coach is Henry Blanco, uh, the catcher. I don't know. He was, he was known for being able to control or, or, or be a very good example and a person who was able to be a sounding board for young Latins coming in through the game. And there's, there's many good um, examples of that. And Kendris is one of those. So that's why regardless, obviously on the field, he's going to put up his numbers, but what he means to that clubhouse and what he means to the, you know, the, not only just a Spanish born, obviously everybody sees that you lead by example, but, but especially the people that are Spanish speaking, because he's able to, you know, bring his knowledge and his professionalism and be able to be an example. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but service time means so much in a major league clubhouse. So when you have a guy like Kendris Morales who is that age and has racked up that many years, he just he does he commands respect, especially like you said, among young 
Spanish-speaking players who might be a little bit lost potentially without an example. So this year he's playing that role as well as going on the streak. And next year with Vladdy Jr., he's going to arrive at some point. We can argue about service time and when he's actually going to arrive. That's going to be a whole other controversy for next year. But he will arrive at some point next year and uh, Morales will play a role there. So today we're going to talk to Ryan Barucki, as we mentioned, Blue Jays rookie pitcher, the Southpaw, um, who's taking after his boy, Mark Burley. And here he is on the line. All right, we're here with Ryan Barucki. And uh, obviously you guys know him. Uh, one of the young Jays who's a big part of this future. Um, obviously getting his first taste of Major League Baseball. And, and uh, it's, it's a fun game, but it's also a tough game at times. Talk about what you've been able to learn, obviously coming off that, that great start, but what you've been able to learn so far um, in the Major Leagues. Um, the biggest thing is just like kind of you're going to have to ride the ups and downs and you just kind of have to keep a level head throughout everything. Um, I've had some, I had some good starts in the beginning and then um, other than my last one, but the three before I wasn't really happy with. I had one in Boston that wasn't too good and you kind of have to just work through it and kind of throw it under the rug and just act like it didn't happen. Just try to keep getting better and um, making adjustments out there. And, um, and yeah, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned so far. So Ryan, we had your boy, uh, Danny Jansen on the podcast last week, and a lot has been made about, uh, the bromance between the two of you. If that's a word that you think is appropriate, you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, one thing that I thought was interesting, Danny told us was about how, when he came up, he kind of called you and you were the one to tell him, you know, here's how this works. Here's how that works. Here's how that works. What was it like to be able to tell sort of one of your best friends and show him the ropes? How did it feel to be kind of on top there? It was it was very weird because about a month before I was asking everybody like what to do, but um, but it was it's awesome. It was an awesome moment when he got to call me and tell me that he was coming up, and it was a moment I'll always remember. A phone call I'll always remember, and um, we we just been through a lot together throughout our uh, minor league careers. Um, and it's just fun to be all see him come to the field and have him sit right next to me at my locker every day and just hang out with him like we've always have. And um, but yeah, it's, it was it was definitely surreal. Um, I just wanted to make sure that he just was all set and ready and um, and just was doing everything right. Talk about that that relationship because I I for me um, Ricky Romero was was my best friend and still is to this day and you know left handed pitcher same thing um, and me and him came to the minor leagues and people don't realize that the bond that you guys share or we all do when we're coming up through the minor leagues. Ricky was a guy who, you know, he had his tough times in the minor leagues and I was catching him and I had my tough times. And, and then all of a sudden we're in the big leagues together. Talk about even just the, that minor league, how, how that, that came about and, and the relationship, how it started in the minor leagues. Yes. Yeah, so when I first met Danny, I was uh, Tommy John. I had Tommy John surgery in 2013 and he got drafted in 2013. So I was just a high school kid. I was rehabbing at the complex and he got drafted and went to the GCL I'll never forget. It was actually me and Tim Mazo were playing video games and we had like our door latched and he just comes storming in. And he, I was just like, who's this guy? Like, who the heck, what's going on here? And then from the day he came and introduced himself. And from that day, I mean, our relationship's just grown. Um, in 2014, we went to Bluefield together. We roomed together. He, um, I stayed, I got hurt in 15 and then he was hurt in 15. So we roomed together when we were injured and going through that process. Then in 16, 
Um, we roomed together again when I was in Dunedin, and then I got sent down. And then 17, we roomed together again in Dunedin, and then he got sent up. Then I went to New Hampshire, um, and we roomed together there again. And then he got sent to Buffalo, and then I got sent up to Buffalo. So it's just been – we've just spent a lot of time together. You know, our families are really good friends. Um, he came over to my house. He came and spent a couple nights around Thanksgiving time last year. And I mean, it's just been a friendship that, um, that's going to probably last longer than our baseball careers, which is always the best thing in life. Ryan, in that story, you mentioned video games. And if you look at the Ryan Brucky Twitter, it's mainly played down the middle, but there's a few, some call of duty references out there that I've noticed. I like to, I'm interested in when you walk on the Blue Jays clubhouse, see what people are playing, you know, Russell Martin's got FIFA going, the relievers, Tyler Clippard and those guys sometimes have some rocket league. Have you been able to get involved in that scene at the big league level yet, or are you just laying low on that front? Um, actually, me, yeah. Um, we're big into Fortnite right now, a lot of the guys. and um, I have my Xbox in my locker, and me and Russ squat up every once in a while while we're in. And um, We've actually been pretty successful the last couple of days, the last couple of times we've played. We've won a couple of games. And, um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always – video games has always been a big – just a way to get away from the field, get away from the stress of baseball and stuff like that. And sometimes probably my girlfriend doesn't like it so much because when she's in town, I still play and ditch her sometimes. But, but, um, but yeah, it's just video games. Have, it is a pretty big part of our clubhouse. A lot of guys are into it. So it's fun to be able to just talk about it. And other than baseball connect in that way. Have you guys been able to approach any other teams about some, some battles? Because when I was playing uh, in spring training, we used to do, uh, Call of Duty, and we would play versus the Yankees and some some guys from the the Pittsburgh Pirates. We kind of all, you know, got online and were able to kind of play against each other. Have you guys uh, branched out that far yet, or is it just an in in house game? It's more of an in house thing, you know. Um, yeah, we haven't done too much branching out. It's hard in those kind of games, except for like FIFA and stuff. It's kind of hard to branch out. Like Fortnite's all like random, you know just a bunch of random people so but yeah we're, we're pretty in-house when it comes to the video games have you uh you obviously you've been in toronto for a little bit you know without uh we always have guys talk about different places that they enjoy to eat what are uh some spots that you've that you found um in toronto or even some some spots on the road that have just kind of because obviously the the food from the big leagues to the minor leagues I, I don't think people realize how big of a difference is not even in the field at the field just off the field as well so what do you got for me yeah, um, big place I always usually go to is Cactus Club. I I really enjoy that. My girlfriend used to work there, so she introduced me to that, and I absolutely love that place. If I could eat there every day, I would. Um, I mean, there's just a couple. I've done a little bit of exploring, not as much as I should, but um, there's like a steak place. I think it's called, like, I don't know if you're familiar. Fred's not here. That place is really, I think. Have you ever heard of that place? Yeah, yeah, it's right there on uh, – it's on uh, King, King right by the theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah right there. I, w- I really enjoy that place. And then on the road, I mean, it's been pretty – I mean, pretty standard stuff. I haven't really done too much, too much when um, – because I usually just eat it at the field. That's probably the biggest thing. But, um, I mean, we've just gone to like a Kona Grill here and there, a Cheesecake Factory, stuff like that. So it's just like normal stuff when it comes to that. Well, and I and another question is, I just went to uh, eat after one of the games with your your bromance partner Danny, and he said that you guys had you had some family in town. So, wouldn't one of the conversations that we had was, wait until you get your first two week check. So, obviously, what people don't realize too is when you're in the minor leagues, the the check that you're getting every two weeks is kind of 
it's it's pretty much comical um, is is the best word that I would say on the little amount of money that you get. So when you got your first big league two week check, what was where you just talked to me about your emotion there? It was definitely uh, it was a surreal moment, like going from the minor league when I was in the GCL. Like it's like you kind of like you're like wow, like this is unbelievable. I was making like $350 every two weeks in the minor leagues. And then you just go to that and just, it's, it's just cool to be, it's like cool for me like this. I got to hang out with my parent, like my uh, family. It's nice. I I'm able to like pick up dinner, you know what I mean? Do things like that. Like instead of them always having to come in, I used to just look forward to my parents coming in. Cause then I'd give like three or four free meals, you know? Cause I was, I mean, you didn't have that much money, but it's cool to just be able to just repay, like pick up a dinner here and there and stuff like that. And just show your appreciation for your parents and loved ones that have supported you throughout this thing financially and emotionally. You know what I mean? And, um, it's just good to be able to pay that back and just, it's crazy that this game is, you, you can make a real nice living off a game that I've been playing since I was, five years old and it's definitely it's definitely a really cool feeling to be able to see that and just be able to pay back your loved ones and things like that staying on food for a second because our listeners know that that's a huge theme me and jp like to get into it's universal everybody eats i because we have a you have we have a chicago guy and you on the line i want to get your take on deep dish pizza because and this you may be offended by this but i've never had it uh, as a Torontonian, I was in Chicago for a few days once. I never managed to do it. Is it overrated, underrated, lives up to the hype? If I'm in Chicago next, what should I do? So it just depends. Being, I'm a huge, I love deep dish pizza. Um, I'm high on it. I think everybody should try it at least once. But there's certain places that I don't particularly like because it's just not my, that certain type. There's different kinds of deep dish. There's like stuffed pizza and things like that. My, if you ever go to Chicago, my recommendation is, do you like cheat? Do you like anything on your pizza or anything? Well, yeah, I don't like just plain crust. I'm open, I'm open to toppings. Okay. okay. So I'm like, I would say go to, um, Lou Malnati's. Yes. <laughs> Lou Malnati's and get a cheese or pepperoni deep dish pizza. Well done. It'll be one of the better, best pieces of pizza that you'll ever have in your life. Right. And you couldn't see that. A lot of guys were wearing when we're in Chicago, a lot of guys tried it, and they they were definitely impressed by it. I just want to say you couldn't see it there, but JP had one of the bigger fist pumps I've seen from him when you name dropped that pizza place. He was all over it. I used to get I used to get it sent to me in the off season. I used to get it sent to me, and I would eat Lou Malinati's. But the one thing is, is now when I get back there. I didn't realize the well done. So the well done, I imagine, takes it over the the limit, huh? It's just the well done. You know, it's because it's like real saucy on top. It like packs everything down. You know what I mean? I'm not like a huge tomato, like a chunk of tomato guy. So I kind of like it like baked in a little bit. That's why I like it. It's You could try the well done part. I think it's really good well done. That's how my family's always got it. And I love it. That's it's we in the off season because I was living with my parents the last like five years. Every Saturday we go to Lumal Night to get a pizza. That's always like the thing in the off season for us. All right. So now your uh, recommendation is on the record. It's perfect. I can go back and listen to this episode again if I'm ever in Chicago and I forgot what you said. I want to hit you with one more Chicago, yeah. one more Chicago thing. Because as a Toronto guy, I grew up in Toronto, I was born and raised here, I lived in Montreal briefly, but I've basically been here my whole life. So all I've known 
from a sports fan perspective, more or less has been misery. Like Toronto has been, Toronto's it's gotten better now, but like no championships. And I'm kind of jealous of people who grow up in places like Boston or Chicago where like a lot of great stuff has happened. So I wanted to get your your favorite sports fan memory growing up in Chicago. Oof. That's tough. I mean, I've been, I've been very lucky. Um, I mean, I was born in 94, my dad and stuff, and my family got to experience Michael Jordan with the bulls, which is an awesome thing to be able to do. And just hear stories. I used to watch like videotapes and things like that of him winning championships. I got to see Blackhawks win three, got to see the bears go to the Super Bowl, and white Sox and Cubs both won a world series, but I was a big uh, white Sox fan growing up. And for some reason, I don't know why, I'll never forget this. Scott Desenic was my favorite player. I don't know why. I had a t-shirt jersey and everything. I loved him. And we were, I'll never forget this. My, we moved in my brother to college and we were watching game two of the World Series. And that's when he hit a walk-off home run to uh, beat the Astros. And I'll never, I've never screamed so loud in my life. I think we woke up the whole entire dorm. I'll never forget that. Well, obviously Chicago has a has a great history and also, you know, a guy who pitched there who threw a perfect game and a teammate of mine that I got to catch uh for a season and is one of the best when people ask me who is your favorite guy to catch, uh, Ricky Romero's my best friend, but Mark Burley was my favorite guy to catch because he was unbelievably special and literally was probably one of the best guys I've ever played with you obviously are a fan of his have you gotten to meet him one two you obviously wear his number so talk about you know what he means to you obviously a lefty and and what he has done to your career yeah so I haven't had the chance to talk to him or meet him but um I mean I got to watch him my whole life as a White Sox fan just going through like year to year just watch him how he grew as a pitcher and I mean I did I, I didn't pitch uh till like my high school and I still watched him over and over again. And I always tell everybody, I used to go, every time I went to White Sox game, I hated it because I feel like he was always pitching. And he'd be done it with a game in like two and a half hours. And I wanted to like have fun and stuff. But, I mean, the way he works, the way he attacked hitters, um, the pace of play he pitched. And, I mean, for a while, I, I didn't shake off like how he does. Um, just kind of get it and go. And the way he went about his business and – he just was on under the radar and just went about the business every day and just really just pitched his game and was true to himself. He knew he wasn't going to blow the ball by you. He just pitched his game. That's what I felt like for a long time when I was going to high school and through the ranks. I didn't have electric stuff where I can throw fastball right by you. I had to work with my changeup, my slider, my fastball, and work in ways like he used to. And he was definitely a great role model to me to just watch throughout my life and how he went and pitched. Awesome. Well, one, thank you for coming on. And the other thing is I was going to leave you with this story. This is the kind of guy he was. He called me out to the mound because you know he'd never shook. He called me out to the mound, um, and I figured something terribly wrong was going on because this guy just – went out there and pitched and I was like what's up Mark and he's like dude we have no chance today and I was like why do you say we have no chance today he's like I threw my best bullet and looked up at the board and it said 84 so we're in trouble today so that's the kind of you know that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of mentality he had and why he was special and again obviously it sounds like uh you're uh cut with the same cloth so we look forward to uh watching you out there and again thank you for coming on thank you guys for having me
And that was uh, Ryan Barucki, Blue Jays rookie, just finding his feet in the major leagues. But he seems, and we said this about Dan Jensen too, I guess they're kind of two similar guys. Seems like a really even keel, take it as it, as it comes type of guy, which I think is going to serve him well because baseball is all about ups and downs and pitching is all about ups and downs too. I mean, that game he, he pitched to, to Danny Jansen, you know, should have been this sort of amazing moment for the two of them. And it really didn't go his way and he got rocked, you know, and then he bounces back as a great start. So that's kind of the way it goes. I, I am a little bit sad for them that they weren't able to collaborate on an awesome first start together, but they're going to have plenty of chances to get it going. Well, honestly, I, you're, I'm sad, but I'm kind of happy about that the way it happened because then if you if you have just that first start, right, together, it's only up from there. And I think they can both learn from it. They could they can continue to learn with each other. It's tough. If, if you just hit the ground running and you don't really have those kind of days – then it, you don't know how to handle them. But if you get it out of the way early, it'll help you for the future. And I think that's something that is is special. It helped me with Mark Burley in general. I don't know if you remember in 2013, Mark Burley was off to a slow start. And I so I wore all of that because I felt like it was my fault because I had never caught him. He doesn't shake. So I, I had to you know, it was, it was my problem. And so I went in there and I watched film after film after film after film of him in his entire career of how he pitched the guys and what he did and how he attacked on a 1-0 pitch and 2-0 and 2-1 and 3-1. And what I literally just watched nonstop games of him. And all of a sudden we got on a huge roll and he ended up having another phenomenal year. And I, and I truly believe that it was my fault that the bad April that he had. So it's something that is a good thing because you can continue to grow, right? Failures is what allows us to, uh, to grow. And I think that's something that's special. But again, it's super cool to hear because it reminds me of Ricky Romero and me. We used to go to breakfast all the time. Obviously, we talked about it on this podcast. Um, and now these guys, you know, Jansen talked about his love for pizza. So I imagine that at some point there's going to be a big there's going to be big ordeal about them eating pizza together because one guy keeps Domino's in in uh, in, in uh, service and the other one is is obviously you heard his passion for Lou Malinati's I think he sold it pretty well so more of um, a connoisseur maybe than Jansen yeah so I think I think um it, it's special to see and we'll continue to watch these guys grow man that's the fun part of for me going to the games now is you see these guys I mean even McKinney I mean let's we haven't even McKinney this weekend goes opposite field twice and it looks like he's starting to get more comfortable so you go there and you watch a Barucky pitch you watch Jansen play you watch McKinney out there I mean it just continues to be more and more fun for me to watch to see what the future may look like because I I do believe that this is a a time in a day and age that you can turn a, a team around quick with some good young players yeah not you know not all these guys are gonna stick I don't know who it's gonna be you know, a lot of these guys look really good. Maybe some of them stumble, some of them take off. But, you know, this is the part where you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and you see what sticks. So that's kind of the topic of this week's memory lane because I want to talk to you about September 1st because we're not going to have another podcast before that date rolls around on the calendar. And it's a huge date in baseball when those rosters expand and sort of this wave of young guys or not even necessarily young guys, just guys from AAA come to the team. And I wanted to ask you about your memories of what those days are like. Do those guys stick together? Are they, do people help them out? Are they integrated well into the team? What happens to an MLB clubhouse when suddenly 
like seven guys get plopped on their doorstep in September, however many the call-ups are going to be. I, I think it's it's all different with um, the the team, right? So I'm going to start with the, the AAA side, right? Like the AAA side, if you're on a losing team, everybody's looking forward to that September call-up date to see, one, if they made the big league roster, if they were going to be one of the guys that are called up. Uh, the other guys are maybe 40-man guys that maybe don't know if they're going to get the chance to get called back up. Um, and you know that it's, they're going to have to make a decision. So that last couple weeks, I mean, it's a it's a weird feeling for guys because they're so worried about if they're going to get the chance to be back you know, in the big leagues or be back on the big league team because if the team's winning – or, or teams losing, they might be just going young, and that person who was on the 40-man might need a – his roster spot might be needed. So I think it's a really uh, confusing thing for them down there. If you're on a winning AAA team, it's kind of it's kind of tough too because you want to go out there and win. But here's the thing, right? There's AAA has that huge long playoffs, and it ends up with the Bricktown, whatever. So like a, a Baraki, for example, he's a guy who – you know they're making peanuts for a living – and if he is a guy who's going to be a September call-up, well, and he's pitching in these playoffs, that might cost him $40,000. You know, that's a that's a month in the big leagues that of pay that he may not be able to get because the playoffs go too far. So that's, that's something, too, where some of these guys, it's a huge, huge opportunity to be able to have that chance to get up to the big leagues or – a bad opportunity that they're going to go with other players and you are not going to be called back up. And that has happened as well. I think then in the big league side, you know, it all, again, it all depends. Are we a winning team? Are we looking to add guys that are going to help us down the stretch? Then it's awesome. You, you know, it's, it's a good thing to be able to have that. Um, but it's also a bad thing if you're on a losing team, because for me, let's say in Texas in 2014, I, I led the team in home runs and RBIs the second half. Uh, after the all-star break but come September I stopped playing and there was a young player Ryan Rua who was a, a fir- he was playing first base and getting a lot of at-bats and I was playing first base at the time because Prince Fielder was hurt and that's what I played every day and then September it just my at-bats stopped coming and I'd get a one one at-bat a week or one game that I'd play pretty much a week because they had to they had to play the young guys so I wasn't bitter about it it's nothing you know you know the way the game works but you know, it's tough on that end. So for me with the Blue Jays now, there might be some guys that come up and they're going to take more playing time uh, that from guys that have been playing all year. And so that kind of makes it a little awkward. But if you have a good clubhouse, it's fine. You don't, I think it's a great time. September is a fun time. The, the roster's expanded and every team that I've ever been in, they've always welcomed the September call-ups with, with open arms, right? I mean, you got to the big leagues and, and if, if you have somebody that treats them bad, then they're probably going to get talked to by somebody else in the clubhouse. They won't allow that to happen, but it is, it's just a weird time, man. It's, it's something there's, there's so many good times for people and a lot of bad times for people. And that's, you know, something that doesn't really get brought up. Uh, and it's, a, again, it's something that could cost a guy 30,000, $40,000 if he doesn't get up. And it's something that could, change a kid's life like being able to take his parents to dinner and you know having the opportunity to play in the big leagues and and to uh get every day at bats for a team that's a losing team so i guess here in in, um september we'll see the direction i think the blue jays have already brought up a lot of guys but um you know that's that's the the grim 
truth about it and and the and the beautiful truth about September call-ups. Yeah, and I think that that the AAA side is a side that we don't talk about. The guys who are left behind, for lack of a better term, these guys you've been working all year. Maybe they are on the forty man. Maybe they're sort of you know the third or fourth catcher that makes the forty man or the I don't know outfielder six whatever it is, some guy who was sort of put on the 40-man in case a bunch of injuries hit or whatever and they never did or they're trying to preserve someone from Rule 5, whatever it is, and then that person gets left down. And, you know, the Major League team has no obligation to bring these guys up. It costs them money. If they're not going to help the team, there's no reason to do it. But there's definitely, I guess, a lot of guys who September 1st comes and goes, and that's a very serious and, you know, potentially life-changing disappointment. Yeah, and it happens, man. And there's and listen, there's guys even like you said, the third catcher, right? Usually in September, there's a third catcher brought up, which I don't know if that's going to happen uh, for the Blue Jays because they have three guys in the roster. But there's guys that are literally minor league career catchers that will catch every year in the minor leagues and get the September call up, and that's something that they look forward to. Um, and again, like you said, I know I know that there's been players that I've played with before that don't get a call up in September just because of the way they acted in the minor leagues or maybe the way they acted when they were in the big leagues and they were proving a point to this guy. And I mean, it takes money out of the people's pocket, but, but it is, it's a, it's a very, again, there's in the clubhouse in triple a September when September rolls around and it's the last day of the season and you're, you know, you're either getting called up or it's not happening. I mean, the, the amount of emotions sway from really really excited to very very upset and just kind of pondering what's next for themselves but um again but on the big league side it's always it's always a, a warm welcome right the, the big leagues you kind of don't really get into the emotion of of the bad part in the minor leagues um and then when they come up you just try to open open arms and you help them out and and again there's going to be some guys that are going to be, be upset maybe on the on the bench that are not getting as much playing time, but there's going to be a, uh, an opportunity for a young guy to come up and make a, an impression and to be able to kind of quote unquote, try out for the next season. Um, so again, it's, it, it's a special time for some and mostly, honestly, a very, you know, grim time for most, because a lot of guys, you know, the percentages of getting up to the big leagues are, uh, are, kind of are very minuscule in in the grand scheme of things so it is a tough time all right today we're going to go outside the nest and talk a little bit about the MLB overall because this is a Jeff Passan Yahoo Sports colleague uh wrote a column today about attendance in the MLB and so attendance is going to be down over three million people this year across all teams some teams are worse than others the Blue Jays of course are one of the bigger dips in baseball and it looks like it's going to hit its lowest point since 2003. So that's a ways, like way back. And so what do you think? I mean, the thing is, in terms of revenue and the money, a lot of it comes from TV. A lot of it comes from MLB advanced media. It's not, the sport isn't as reliant on people coming through the gate as it once was, but it still says something about the game and how people see the game. So what do you think of the drop in attendance, JP? And what do you think, are steps that maybe we could take to get a little bit of a turnaround going because obviously this is worrying, but if it's the beginning of a trend, then, you know, eventually it's going to put the health of the game in question. Well, I think partially the drop of the attendance is, is based on teams as well. I mean, think, think about 
the difference between the winning teams and the losing teams, you know, this, this year and the teams that are quote unquote tanked and the, the teams that are, that went for it. Right. I think there was such a discrepancy in that, uh, that there was, I mean, there was even questions about, you know, how can you make teams be more competitive and stuff like that. And I think that that rescinds in the, with the, with the fans as well. Like they don't want to go and watch, uh, pay money to go and, and watch a team that the, that the ownership or not the ownership, maybe the front office or however that goes, that they don't, that they don't intend to put a winning piece out there. I mean, I think it's, you kind of, it's the whole, if you build it, they will come. I mean, there's also teams that are, uh, have their attendance up because of, uh, of competitive, competitive team. I mean, I remember playing against Baltimore early in my career when they were not a good team and there was like 12 people in the crowd. And all of a sudden, when these guys were fighting for the AL East, I couldn't even hear myself think it was so loud. I mean, there was the, the, it was unbelievably packed. So I think that's a big part of it too is, is teams have to kind of look at themselves in the, in the mirror and go, well, we kind of didn't do our best to, to put the product on the field. So why, why is anyone going to pay their hard-earned money to go and watch? So I think that's one. I think two – you know, the, the opportunity to watch these big TV deals, you know, you can watch more games. You don't have to go to to games as much as you did before to be able to watch a game. I mean, you could watch a game every single game on a network if, if you wanted to. So I think that they have, you know, the MLB uh, package on, on TV. So you could watch all those. You could pay a hundred and whatever, 60 bucks for a season and watch the entire any game you want. You pay one hundred and sixty dollars to go to one game. Um, so I think those are kind of things and I think they have to make the games more entertaining. I think there's, there's ways that they can do things, uh, that can make it something, uh, more fun for the, for the person who is not an avid baseball fan. Uh, I mean, even with the yesterday, I was at the game in Toronto and then I was doing some stuff with, uh, kids with Boston pizza and the junior Jays. And I mean, the parents, we sat there and I was, explaining to the parents and the kids like okay watch watch this guy watch what they're doing here in the outfield they're looking at a card watch how they set up well watch this next batter they're going to set up completely different and watch this and that and so all of a sudden they're like oh my gosh we didn't know all this stuff so you did you know when you get to learn the the little parts of the game that are you know pretty fun to watch and 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 kind of will bring more interest i think that's a pin, uh, an important part, and I don't know how you can do that, how you can teach fans or make it more entertaining for them while they're watching the game. I do think they're going to have to do something. I think that at some point, I think gambling, um, even betting, sports betting, could be a, a something that will push people coming to games and stuff like that. But, I, I mean, I, I just – it's a tough pill to swallow, I think, for Major League Baseball right now. Yeah, I think that, as you mentioned, the first factor, the sort of have and have nots plays a role. Like you said, they're kind of super teams, if you will. And then there's a lot of teams that aren't even close and the races aren't in the NL. There's some good races, to be sure. But especially in the American League, it really is have and have nots. And I think that that's not going away because I think the way front offices operate nowadays, they really do see their window they don't want to be caught in that middle part. They want to be either rebuilding or really competitive, and they don't want to be kind of that wishy-washy 500 team because there's not much value in that. I think that that's kind of an attitude that's changed over time. We do have to remember that there was just a crazy weather in April, that that played a role. It was really cold. It was really rainy. So many, so many teams had postponed games. That definitely played a factor. And 
as you said, the I think it's important what you mentioned in terms of people understanding the game being a big part of understanding of enjoying it. Because I think baseball is not a sport like basketball where you can go to a game and not know anything about it and sort of be wowed by the athleticism. I think it's about the intricacies and it's tough. It's tough to educate people on that. And I think that it's going to be hard to find a way to make that fun. But on the other side, I know quite a few people personally who would go to a game but would never watch it on TV because of that ballpark atmosphere and just it being an event. And we've seen in Toronto that when the Blue Jays are good, it can be an event. So I don't think there's an easy answer necessarily. Maybe gambling is going to be a big part of the future on that, but MLB should be worried. They should take this. I know that MLB is still going to be wildly profitable this year. Baseball is not dying, but they should be they should be concerned about this. And I think that you'll hear a lot of talk about this in the off season. You know, honestly, too, I think one thing, and again, this is now this is me going a little bit different, but I think that the NHL has a shootout, and one of the the, the coolest things in the NHL is when a when a team gets to shootouts, everybody gets fired up. I mean, everyone's standing. It's I mean, you kind of almost sometimes hope uh, for a tie because it, it's an entertaining part of it. And so for me, again, this is maybe a little out there, is do they do a home run derby or some style of, you know, home run derby to have the winner of a game? If it's after the, the ninth inning, if it's in extras, do they do something where – all right. Well, it comes. It goes down to a sudden death kind of thing, and you get to pick who you have. And I think it's gonna honestly, it'll make it more entertaining for fans, and and also it'll give opportunity to guys to kind of stay in the big leagues a little bit longer. Because if you're that guy, who, and and you know that you see this a lot, if you're that guy in extra innings and you get burned, and you're a bullpen guy, you know exactly what's gonna happen, and everybody knows it while you're pitching, and everybody knows it while you're playing. You're like, oh, dude, this guy's wearing it right now, and he's going to be sent to AAA because of it. So it'll save guys innings. It'll save guys from being sent down. It'll save save guys guys, you know, extra appearances. I mean, I think there's a lot of different things that it could help with, and it would make it a little bit more entertaining. I see a lot of the logic in that, but from an emotional standpoint, my heart won't let me believe in that solution. It's just, it just, there's something about it that my body rejects. It's not baseball to me. But, you know, these are type of radical things. I don't know if anything like that's being tabled, but I do think they'll probably be tabling some interesting ideas in the years to come to help combat this problem. So today we're going to end with the JP Career Trivia as we do every week. I have to say I don't have a particularly good reason for this one, but I wanted to have one that's out of quite a bit because you're right now you're sitting at 23 out of 42 to 54.8%. So I want to give you a chance to get back in the game. So this one is worth six. So potential six out of six could really get your score back up there. And the question is, we're going back to your draft year, 2007 MLB draft. In the first round of that draft, so I know that you're probably plugged in with guys who are drafted around you. There were six guys who made an all-star team that were drafted in that round of the 2007 draft. If you can name all six, you're going to get a huge boost to your score. Or how many can you name? Uh, gosh, well, David Price, Matt Weeders, because I know that they were the same. Um, That's two. I would say Jake Arietta. Jake Arietta. 
Nope, not in the same round. Maybe he, he was, wasn't in the. Fr- maybe he was a later pick that round because I know he was a high pick. Um, let me continue to think here. Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and seven high picks. Uh, holy smokes. Um, I mean, I don't really. I didn't really pay attention to everybody that was drafted. Uh, that year, I'm just trying to think of honestly the guys that I played with in college that would have been um, all stars. Zach Cozart. I don't even know if he was a first round pick. I'm not seeing him here. All has he has he been an all star? Anyway, I don't see him here. Uh, uh, yeah, he was an all star. Um, let me see. I uh, I cannot. I would say literally that's kind of all that comes to you my mind two? in the first round. Man, I thought that you would uh, – I thought I'd be giving you a chance here. Instead, I'm just burying you on a 33%. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, you think – like, what do you think? That I would remember everybody well, that got drafted in 2007? Well, no, I just thought that, you know, as the draft was coming up, you probably would have read a lot of stuff, heard a lot of stuff, and there'd be names in your head, and then those names you would be able to plug into guys who were really good. I don't know. I thought there was a good shot. I thought you were probably good for four at least. Well, I apologize, but I, I that was a long time ago, one. And two, I don't remember even the guys that were in first-round picks that, I mean, other than, like I said, I know David and Matt Weeders because those are guys that I played with on the USA team. Um, shoot, on, I, I, that's pretty much all I can go with. I don't know. All right. Give me the names. All right, so I'll give you the other four names, and I'm going to throw out some of the other names of this draft just because some funny name drops in here. But the, the, the total names, six of them. So David Price, you're right, first overall. Mike Moustakas, second overall, made an all-star team. Uh, third Guy is Matt Weeders, as you said, fifth overall. Fourth is Madison Bumgarner, tenth overall. And then Jason Hayward, 14th overall. And then the last guy to make an all-star team is Devin Mezzarako, who I forgot made an all-star team, but I guess he was really good for a short time. Um, So those are the guys who made the all-star teams. And then not a lot of super notable guys. Rick Porcello in this, Ben Revere uh you know ross detweiler like not a lot of big names in here fun fact the the three guys drafted directly after you none of them made the major leagues who's that tim alderson nick schmidt and michael main so i guess well i know i know uh two of them were pitchers i don't know which one michael they're all pitchers righty lefty righty yep and honestly the blue jays had a pick uh, and the 16th pick that never made it to the major leagues. He was a Kevin Aaron's. Yeah, Aaron's. Good, good, good high school player, but never got to make it. That's part of the uh, the risk reward of of the MLB draft. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the guys kind of bunched around you, ten, like you got Aaron's, and then guys like Blake Beaven, Pete Cosma, Joe Savory, Chris Withrow. You know, guys who had cups of coffee didn't look. Well, Cosmo played for quite a while, to be fair. And then all these guys who didn't make it. It's funny when you look back at a draft years and years later, because at the time, every single guy, they're like, okay, here's the projection. Starting left fielder. Here's the, here's the comparison. This guy plays the game a lot like, I don't know, because it's in my head and Baraki said it, Scott Bacednik. Like, oh, this guy's the next Scott Bacednik. Oh, well, this guy is the next, like, lefty. You know, he'll be like Chris Sale, but, you know, maybe not quite as good. And every single player draft in the first round, if you're watching that show on TV, 
they'll throw out some huge comparison and everyone's playing for the future. Then 10 years later, you look back at a draft and you're like, there was like eight guys who were maybe any good here. Yeah, I mean, but then there's the there's the late round picks that all of a sudden are Mark Burley's, who was a, a later pick in the draft and he was Mark Burley or Mike Piazza. I mean, so that's the fun part. And I think that's what makes good scouts is being able to make sure you pick up pick the guys that are going to be guys that you know are going to be special um i mean look at think about mike trout mike trout went i think to the 25th or 6th pick jays picked chad jenkins with mike trout sitting there on the board there's a fun fact that i always like to remember yeah so i mean and listen there was there was picks there's a lot of picks before a lot of players man and that's the way that a lot of amazing players that you're like man why did you pick this guy instead of this guy back in the days one thing that used to haunt Ricky and it would piss him off is that the Blue Jays had said they regretted picking him before Troy Tulowitzki because uh, that was that same draft and, and Ricky went before Tulowitzki and he used to have the article up in his locker so I mean you know that's that kind of happens and that's again that's part of your scouting department and and guys or whoever makes the decisions the gen, the general managers and and the powerful people who've been able to really evaluate talent because there are a lot of misses more misses than than you know spot on yeah it's an inex- it's definitely an inexact science and we see that you know the more the further back you go the more you see it so that is us for episode 16 of digging of jp and Sevia. we thanked you guys a little bit in the opening we'll thank you again we appreciate you tuning in continue to subscribe on itunes or variety of places where you get your podcasts you can search for us and uh we'll talk to you guys again next week 